Welcome to another episode of Natural Gas World's In A Nutshell podcast. I'm Joseph Murphy, and today I'm joined by Jean-Francois Gauthier, Vice President of Measurement and Strategic Initiative at global satellite emissions monitoring company, GHG Stat. And we will be discussing a recent pilot project that GHG Stat has been involved in alongside OGCI and Carbon Limit, uh, based on uh, a study to quantify methane emissions at oil fields in Iraq. Um, Jean-Francois, a good place to start really for the benefit of the audience is, um, can you outline what your what your company is doing and, and your journey so far? Right, so first of all, thanks for uh, for having me, uh, having me here, Joseph. It's great to speak to you today. So, uh, so JSG Sat measures greenhouse gas emissions, especially methane, with its own satellites. And what really separates us is that we do this directly from industrial facilities around the world. So, of course, yeah. focusing on methane, oil and gas is our primary market. So, uh, so aside from our satellites, we also do this with our own aircraft sensor. It's the same sensor that we find on uh, on the uh, on the satellites. And then in addition to that, we also ingest public data from other satellites on a daily basis, and we process that information and use it to augment what we do with our own data. Mm -hmm. And could you tell me a bit about uh, the resolution of your satellites? So, you know, when you're spot, you're looking for methane emissions uh, points, you know, how, 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 how small can they be detected? So the, when we speak of resolution, so there's detection threshold and there's also spatial resolution. So the size of the pixel. So uh, and the combination that we offer is is very unique right now uh, in the world. So we offer a 25 meter resolution uh, in terms of spatial resolution, in terms of pixel size, which means that we are able to very clearly uh, attribute emissions to a specific site. So when we detect emissions, there are no, uh, there's no doubt, there's no uh, challenge or guesswork as to where it is coming from. We know exactly which facility it is, it is coming from. Now, when we talk about uh, the other side of that equation, the detection threshold, uh, we, uh, we detect uh, any emissions that are above 100 kilograms per hour. So, uh, so that's, that's still, uh, that's still a very large uh, a large emission, but uh, when it comes to satellites, that's actually quite small, especially mm -hmm. to do routinely, and not only to do it routinely, but to do it in any sort of setting around the world, so we can have the same uh, the same sensitivity like this in, for example, in the desert of Algeria, as we do uh, somewhere in the U.S. or Canada, for example. Mm -hmm. And can you outline what the uh, main purpose of this report was and what was your role in in the study and um, what were the roles of OGCI and, and carbon limits? Yeah, so we, uh, you know, we decided to write a, a white paper on this because it was such a unique project. Um, and to our knowledge, it was a bit of a groundbreaking uh, attempt at, uh, at bringing together a, uh, a monitoring technology like ours. So that was our role in the, in the project. It was to, to look, uh, identify sources of emissions and more importantly, identify opportunities for reductions. And uh, also bring together, this project was bringing together uh, a group like, like OGCI here that brings 
uh, not only uh, you know expertise in, in, uh, in oil and gas by virtue of, of its members, uh, mm -hmm. the companies that are members of OGCI are well known, but also they bring uh, they bring the industry angle to this uh, and uh, the ability when contacting operators on the ground to uh, reassure that this is uh, this is a joint project. We're all working together mm -hmm. to reduce emissions. Uh, and this was uh, obviously very well received, as you saw in, in the report and the results of that. And the third, uh, the third leg uh, of that stool, so to speak, of, of the third member of that project is, uh, is a company called Carbon Limits. And Carbon Limits brings a, a very unique expertise to, uh, to educate uh, the, the operators on the ground, work closely with them to uh, not only give them uh, uh, strategies uh, to reduce emissions, to, uh, to actually fix the leaks or address the emissions that are happening, but also to uh, provide them with longer term strategies, uh, for example, for preventative maintenance and best practices in order for, uh, for leaks to uh, occur at a, uh, at, a less, uh, at a less frequent rate in the future. Mm -hmm. And what would he summarize the main findings of the report? What did you learn? Well, we learned a lot, actually. And uh, the most important thing that we learned is that uh, uh, engaging with operators on the ground uh, or in, in, in different countries in the world is, is possible if it's done the right way. So uh, it is very easy uh, for uh, for operators to feel uh, maybe not threatened, but a little bit taken aback and a little bit on the uh, on their back heel to when when, when they hear about uh, their their emissions. So there is a certainly a, uh, a dialogue that needs to take place, and and the way we went about doing this uh, proved to be very successful. So that was a. Uh, a very interesting learning because it sets the blueprint to do this in, in other countries because now it's a model that was designed to be very scalable and that's precisely what we're doing with this. So uh, as you saw in the report, we're now taking this to, to other countries like Algeria, Kazakhstan and Egypt mm -hmm. uh, and the potential to roll this uh, same methodology to other countries uh, is, uh, is an absolute possibility now as we continue to learn uh, through the experience in these other countries as well. So uh, the other thing that we've learned is that uh, is that it is possible to uh, to very precisely identify emissions from different sources uh, as well. So you saw mm -hmm. in the report that uh, that there were different uh, pieces of equipment that were uh, that were responsible for this, from unlit flares to to other. Uh, other pieces of, uh, of equipment that were leaking and not all are born equal in terms of how easily the repairs can be performed. So it's very important when, when looking at, uh, at these types of programs to really um, start with the lower hanging fruits, for example, an unlit flare, as I mentioned a second ago, which uh, are typically, comparatively speaking anyway, easier to repair uh, and usually have a big impact because they tend to vent a lot of methane straight to atmosphere if they are malfunctioning. So, uh, and then you know once these are addressed, then it's possible to move uh, to the other uh, aspects of uh, the other pieces of equipment that may require more capital uh, or more time uh, to fix. So, uh, another uh, another thing that we've learned is that it is possible 
uh, for operators to take interim measures to, for example, redirect the gas uh, somewhere else in the facility in order to mm -hmm. uh, temporarily address the problem while the equipment was being fixed. So this this type of um, uh, you know th this ability to be proactive uh, cannot be underestimated. Once the knowledge is there of where emissions are and and uh, and the, the magnitude of them, it is possible to make really well informed uh, decisions on uh, uh, on uh, on how to proceed. So so these are some examples of the of the learnings uh, that we've had. A last one that I could mention is that. We've certainly learned the power of frequent uh, monitoring uh, at, at, uh, at sites like this. And when I say that, I mean that it is uh, widely known now that emissions, uh, methane emissions and oil and gas can be intermittent. They can come and go. Uh, it really depends on each site, on each uh, emission, on each leak. And uh, having frequent data, the ability to revisit frequently really uh, starts uh, providing uh, proper context, proper situational awareness to make those decisions I spoke of a second ago in terms of prioritizing action. So mm -hmm. uh, it is, you know, the priority usually will go to sites that are or, or uh, pieces of equipment that are uh, emitting on a more persistent basis, as opposed to the to the ones that might be intermittent, uh, mm -hmm. because more investigation might be required to figure out the causes of the intermittent ones, uh, but the persistent ones are the, uh, you know, the proverbial low hanging fruits I spoke of earlier as well. So, so, uh, so our satellites now, the constellation that, that we have allows us to revisit sites frequently enough uh, in order to, to start getting a full picture here on, on, uh, on how to take action. Mm -hmm. I have a few uh, follow-up questions, but just to zoom out, uh, for a bit, why why was Iraq chosen as a location, and how did you identify the um, the group of fields which you decided to study? Yeah, so it was a uh, we used a bit of a, uh, a methodical approach to do this. So we uh, we looked, we did an initial uh, an initial look with our satellites because there are so many uh, different fields, so many oil and gas installations. So uh, we tried to select uh, an area uh, where engagement would be most likely, because of course this was a bit of a, a bit of a pilot project. Like so, we're really trying to reach, uh, have the best chance of success early on, so we can learn from this, but also lay a foundation to continue expanding these types of projects. So. Uh, uh, you know, uh, one of the learnings I did not men mention because there's so many lessons learned, but an important one was that uh, any uh, with any operators where we had previous contact, engagement was much more rapid. Uh, mm -hmm. In some cases, when when we did not have prior contact either through OGCI or carbon limits or ourselves, it took uh, up to ten outreaches to different individuals in order to finally reach the right person. So it was possible, but it required a lot more sustained effort to get there. So uh, in trying to select uh, areas, um, we tried to uh, also do a, a prior survey of, you know, the, the connections that we had in country uh, so that we could maximize that ability to engage as quickly as possible in order to, to drive results. So, uh, so that, that's, uh, that, that summarizes the approach that we took to that. Mm -hmm. But was there a reason specifically Iraq rather than another um, 
No, I mean, there's no, uh, you know, we, we've looked at several countries uh, and, uh, you know, OGCI has has involvement in the country. So uh, mm-hmm. it helps. Uh, it helps that they have a presence there. Several of the members have have a presence and mm-hmm. uh, they have relationships that are built. So, again, in the name of uh, facilitating engagement and trying to uh, trying to uh, to get the results as quickly as possible, even if uh, the the actual operators that we were contacting were not working directly with these companies, they're actually uh, the fact that they're present in country helps with mm-hmm. uh, with the engagement. So, uh, so that uh, that was one of the one of the criterias. Uh, but again, it could have been uh, some of the other countries that we're now turning our attention to as well. Uh, mm-hmm. We had to start somewhere. Uh, somewhere in Iraq presented a great opportunity to do that. Okay, sure, sure. Um, so going back to um, the types of equipment which were identified as, as you know, the big, the, the major sources of uh, emissions, was there a particular type of equipment which was producing more emissions? Um, um, you know, was that consistent at all of the oil fields? And uh, also, what did you find out about... Um, if there, if a type of equipment was causing emissions, um, which types of equipment were easier to, in terms of cost and and other factors to repair or replace and fix the problem? Right. So I, I touched on that a little bit earlier. Uh, I can certainly yeah. expand on that a little bit. But uh, so so flares are a, a big opportunity, not just in Iraq, sure. but in many places, uh, many countries that are. Uh, uh, you know, operators of, uh, of oil and gas fields around the world. So uh, inefficient flares, flares that might be malfunctioning and venting straight to atmosphere. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the easier pieces of equipment to fix. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't certainly don't want to trivialize the work that's needed to, to, uh, to repair and upgrade some of these devices. But com- comparatively mm-hmm. speaking, it's easier to, to address this usually than it is to uh, troubleshoot a compressor station, for example. So, uh, so that's certainly something that we've identified, and certainly one thing that we've noticed is that uh, the uh, the types of uh, of equipment that are that we're leaking in Iraq were no different than what we see elsewhere in the world. So, very consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, flares, like I said, are, are a fairly common, uh, fairly common occurrence. Uh, and um, things like maintenance events as well, which are more on the intermittent side of things as opposed to persistent. But mm-hmm. you know, maintenance events can be can can cause large releases of methane. Uh, we often hear about them uh, in the news now uh, as being captured by by one method or the other. And and uh, and you know it, it, at that point it comes down to best practices to try to. Uh, to avoid releasing so much gas during the maintenance events. So, uh, so, but if I had to, if I had to list one particular piece of equipment there, that that uh, it would be the flares. Uh, that that's certainly a a big opportunity for sure. Okay, and uh, you were talking about the frequency of monitoring. How how frequently were your satellites surveying a particular field? So we were looking at six sites in, in country. Yeah. So uh, the, the goal was to look at them several times a month. So okay. of course we are uh, restricted by cloud coverage, but uh, we're, Iraq was uh, also selected uh, f- from the perspective that weather tends to be fairly uh, 
um, favorable, fairly <laughs> yeah. favorable for for satellite observations because uh, because cloud coverage tends to be uh, maybe less frequent than in other parts of the world. So we we need the sunlight to make our measurements because we measure the absorption of uh, of methane uh, of sunlight by the gas, but you know by by the gas of interest in this mm -hmm. case methane. So. Uh, so uh, the fact that uh, it's a more sunny area allowed us to make more uh, more repeated um, uh, measurements there. So we were able to to look at at these sites uh, and in, in many cases two, three, four times a month, especially towards the the latter end of the uh, of the period that we reported on, because we had launched new satellites that allowed us to increase that cadence. So. Mm -hmm. um, and you know we the the, the paper addresses uh, discusses the project about nine months into it. We're obviously continuing that now, and the fact that we have more satellites now in orbit, and we're launching three more uh, this uh, this spring, and another three at the end of the year. So this increase in capacity allows us to go from what we used to do like years ago, which was monthly monitoring at a site. Mm -hmm. Now we can do it multiple times uh, a month, sometimes weekly. And now, uh, you know, by the end of this year, uh, we'll be able to monitor uh, daily at some sites. So that's often too much. But the possibility is there, especially if there's a need to characterize some sources uh, more um, uh, in, in greater depth in order to really figure out the scale of the problem. Because, you know, it's not enough to just characterize are the emissions persistent or intermittent. But also, uh, it's great to be able to understand whether or not they're variable. Like, are they fairly constant? Mm -hmm. Are they jumping? You know, is the intensity, uh, the magnitude jumping up and down as well? So the more data points you have, the more you can prioritize decisions and take uh, and take uh, corrective actions in a methodical uh, and thoughtful way. So. Uh, so that's basically what the that increase in uh, in measurements uh, permits. Mm -hmm. And can we put a uh, numbers on on how much uh, the operators were able to to reduce their methane emissions by? Yeah, so we uh, we offered some numbers uh, uh, on that. So the the average rate of emission of the sites that we looked at was uh, was uh, one point five uh, one point five tons per hour. So, uh, so some of those sites were able to be addressed, and and others uh, others were uh, were not, uh, at least not immediately. Uh, but uh, but the you know the the ones that were fixed uh, were that that's kind of the magnitude that we're talking about. We're talking about reducing persistent um, persistent sources that are in the order of of one point five tons per hour, which is. Uh, which is quite significant. That's the equivalent of uh, of uh, feeding uh, energy to forty three thousand uh, typical homes in the U.S. So, uh, so that's that's the scale that we're looking at, and that's still a very limited uh, project. Like, uh, admittedly, here, uh, this is not meant to represent the situation all over Iraq, uh, but it does highlight that uh, that there is an opportunity. To expand these types of programs, and it provides a uh, an idea of the scale of the impact that can be achieved relatively easily, all things considered. And again, very important to not minimize the effort that's needed uh, on the ground to repair some of these events and troubleshoot them properly, because having the initial measurement 
is only the beginning. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on the ground to pinpoint exactly where it is coming from and uh, and devise a plan in order to, to fix them. Mm -hmm. I mean, judging by those uh, reductions, um, it, it's obviously an effective, your satellites are obviously an effective tool to um, to identify, you know, the big emitters. Um, but there's, I mean, you've mentioned some already, but can you take me through what other limitations um, satellite monitoring has? Um, obviously, you know, oper a standard operator won't just use satellite monitoring. They'll, they'll also need, you know, the ground level stuff um, with cameras and, and et cetera. That's correct. Uh, and, uh, you know, at, uh, at GSGSAT, we're, uh, we, we, we really believe that satellites are a really crucial, really important part of that puzzle, of that solution, because mm -hmm. satellites can identify the, the biggest sources rapidly and then qualify them in a way that allows you to make those decisions I spoke of a second ago. So uh, by addressing those big leaks as quickly as possible, you handle uh, a, a big part of the problem very quickly. So, you know, there are studies in the U.S. that look at the distribution of, uh, uh, of emissions and, uh, you know, for example, super emitters versus the smaller leaks. Uh, there's a 2016 study by Brandt uh, at Stanford University that showed that, uh, that about 70%, uh, between 55 and 70% of the total volume emitted came from about 5% of those leaks. So those, that means, in other words, a small number of very large leaks can, uh, when they're addressed, you're, you're addressing a big, a big chunk of the problem. So that's the role that satellites play. Satellites mm -hmm. cannot obviously handle the smaller leaks. There are many, many, many more of those smaller leaks. But the idea is that in a tiered system where you deploy different technologies at different frequencies, uh, for example, satellites on a weekly or almost daily basis, if possible, to find those big leaks and eliminate them. And then you can deploy other technologies like aircraft or drones, but then you can afford to do it uh, perhaps a bit less frequently because you're, you know that the big leaks have been captured. So you can use the budget more uh, judiciously by deploying these other technologies perhaps slightly less frequently, and then also have on the ground measurements, whether it's in situ monitoring or uh, someone walking around with an optical gas imaging camera. Mm. And it's widely accepted now, and we're big believers in that at GHGSAT, that uh, it, there's no silver bullet uh, to address this problem. It really is a combination of all of these great technologies in order to capture, identify, and address the whole spectrum of, of, uh, of leaks. There are of different types, there are different sizes, so they're not all born equal. And, uh, and with, armed with all of these technologies, it becomes possible to, uh, to really address the full spectrum and to do it at the lowest possible cost to the operator as well, so that they can, uh, they can, have, uh, they can have budget to actually fix them as well. So it's, it's monitoring is just the first step. Sure, sure. Uh, so you mentioned that you're expanding your constellation of satellites. Um, what else can we look forward to um, moving forward from GHGSAT? Um, how are you expanding, uh, you know, geographically? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so we already have uh, we already have offices uh, in a few places around the world. So, of course, we have uh, a presence in the U.S. because of the mm -hmm. 
the oil and gas industry in, in Texas there. So we have uh, uh, we have a presence there. We also we have several offices across uh, across Canada. So our aircraft operations are based out of Calgary. Our analytics center is based out of Ottawa. And of course, we're headquartered in Montreal. But now, uh, you know, for the last several years, we've had an office in London in the UK. Uh, and and uh, we're constantly looking at the next uh, the next possible place to expand to to best serve our customers. So whether that's the Middle East, Southeast Asia, uh, you know, we we want to be close to our customers in order to have the right conversations and uh, and showcase what we do properly. And uh, and that's usually done in person. So uh, so we, uh, we we continue to grow that way. Uh, and uh, I think that's something to look forward to in the next uh, in the next uh, year or two. Now, um, we've just recently announced uh, that uh, in the batch, the second batch of three satellites we're launching this year, there will be a CO2 satellite. So okay. that's uh, so that's a little bit different. Uh, you know, after uh, after the, the focus on methane, we're now uh, turning our attention back to CO2 as well. Our, our first satellite or demonstrator was initially intended to do both. It was designed to look at CO2 and methane, but for many reasons, we decided to focus on methane first and be very good at it. One of the lessons learned was that we were better to focus on one gas at a time. So mm -hmm. we did that with methane. The business case and the demand continue to be there for CO2. So now uh, the time was right for us to turn our attention back to CO2 with a dedicated CO2 satellite so that we can bring uh, that, uh, that data as well to our customers so that they can best understand their, uh, their entire uh, greenhouse gas footprint. Mm -hmm. And um, oil and gas, your, your main focus, but what about other sectors? What, are, what else are you branching out into? Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned, oil and gas was our is our primary sector, uh, like where most of our customers are, and that's because, uh -huh. of course, methane is the main component of natural gas. So it is it is a, a obviously a, a natural, uh, you know, an, a, a good fit. But there are other industrial sectors that are uh, considerable emitters of methane. So we do a lot of work in waste management, so landfills mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, and dumping sites around the world. So we're, we we image these types of facilities on a daily basis around the world. Uh, and uh, also coal mining is a sector where an industrial sector where we see a lot of uh, a lot of methane emissions, and that's from both open pit and underground uh, coal mines. So yeah. and finally, to a to a lesser degree, but we're uh, we have several examples now in in agriculture. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, so, for example, uh, cattle feedlots, where you put thousands of heads of cattle in the same place and they're feeding, uh, that can generate considerable uh, amounts of, uh, of methane. Uh, and we have examples where we've been able to see that from space. Uh, and, uh, and also facilities like biodigesters, for example, uh, if they're malfunctioning or they have a leak, uh, that can be quite significant too. So those are just some examples on the on the agricultural side, but those first three sectors I mentioned, oil and gas, waste, and uh, and coal, uh, form the 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 vast majority of of the work that we do around the world right now. Okay, well, thank you very much for the uh, conversation, Jean Francois. Uh, any finishing remarks? 
finishing remark here <laughs> is that uh, what I would say is uh, it's something I've I've been uh, I've been mentioning a lot lately and in in, in, uh, in a lot of discussions uh, because mm-hmm. in, in these types of discussions and interviews there's always a um, uh, an interest about knowing about what's the what's next for the technology you know what's the next big uh, big step in technology improvement and I think um, it's clear now that technology is here to address emissions so and that's not just satellites that's not just GHGSA you know there are a lot of uh, really great technologies aircraft monitoring drone monitoring in situ uh, that have made great strides in the last five years, last five to 10 years. So the technology is here. You know, we're identifying emissions on a daily basis. So the opportunities are there for impact and it's time to now turn to action. So that's my parting, my parting thought here. You know, uh, in 2022, JSHSAT identified eight megatons of methane. So that's equivalent to over 45 million cars on the road for a full year. So, uh, and, and out of this, only a, a small fraction was confirmed to be uh, reduced, to be uh, addressed. So opportunities are now here. They're clearly identified. They're pinpointed to specific facilities and the data is timely. The data is provided in less than 24 hours. So the opportunities for reductions are here. So the time is now for action. So that's my uh, that's my, uh, my 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 parting thought, Joseph. Uh, you know that uh, that's my 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 last uh, my last message here is that uh, the, the work's been done. The data the data is here. The technologies will continue to improve. This is great, uh, but yeah. but the opportunities are here today. It's a good closing thought. Um, okay, thank you very much. Uh, this has been another episode of In a Nutshell, Natural Gas Worlds podcast. Thank you for tuning in.